that fun fact about you i said did you know that i love metronomes you heard it here first folks <laughs> i like the word metronome i like the aesthetic yeah. look of a classic metronome yeah that like my grandparents had a wood one with like a gold almost kind of yeah. like a watch hand yes this classic metronome mm-hmm. and then i also like the sound of it i think it's very calming yeah okay i mean i like asmr videos and those are you know odd yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's, well, I guess it's similar. It's calming. Yeah. But when I was little, my brother had a metronome for the piano that was electronic. Mm-hmm. It didn't look like how I wanted it to look, but it made the sound. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would pretend by myself, because this was my life, that I had magical powers. Mm-hmm. I could stop time or mm-hmm. slow it down to make it go faster mm-hmm. based on the movement of the metronome. That's really cute. Yeah. It's like a, uh, it's like Hermione's time turner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but way before I was a yeah. trailblazer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is a cool story <laughs> yeah the podcast where we that is a storytelling book club meets youtube reaction video without visuals um as we go through the wheel of time series right now we are doing eye of the world the first book by robert jordan and uh i'm n i've read the series like a dozen times and i'm matt and this is my first time through yep first time reader yeah so join us on our escapade. Yeah. That's join a Janet us Jackson song, right? Escapade? Take, take you on an escapade. What yes. What word did you think I said? What? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said Janet Jackson. Escapade. And then you said escapade before I even got, like, confirmed that you said Janet Jackson. I think that's what happened. Well, I, I said escapade. That's a Janet Jackson song. <laughs> Anyway, I think I was going to just say another word for escapade. Great. Anyway, so this has been great. Yeah, (laughs) this is a good start. We are uh, good banter. Yeah, (laughs) we've got good chat. Good good chat. Good chat. Uh, Good banter. Sorry, I'm obsessed with Love Island, but especially I'm obsessed with the SNL impersonation of Love Island because it is so funny. So if you listeners uh don't watch love island you should and absolutely then after you watch like a season or two go watch the snl skit of love island it's so worth your time also shout out to carolyn flack that's her name right carolyn oh the host yeah who died recently yeah so. i don't know if that's a shout out more like a <laughs> you know shout out to her <laughs> i wouldn't say it's more of like a Moment of silence, maybe. <laughs> like, rest in peace. Shout out. <laughs> High five, girl. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, her family's going to sue us for that. Oh, my God. They're, um, they're not going to hear it. So we left off with chapter 16. <laughs> yes. The wisdom. Because Nynaeve showed up in uh, uh, Barillon and found everybody. And so now we are at chapter 17. Yeah, here we are. Chapter 17. So, yeah, so Nynaeve just had her, like, you know, face-off with the crew. Did you ever see the John Travolta movie, (laughs) (laughs) Face-Off? No. But as soon as I said Face-Off and saw your face, I knew you were going to bring up the Nicolas Cage movie. (laughs) I mean, it's the worst thing that's ever been on television. Or or movies. Yeah, I watched the TV show, Face-Off, on Sci-Fi Network. It's a reality show where they um, do special effects makeup. Mm-hmm. very good yeah big fan yeah yeah yeah. way better than the movie face off i promise i've never seen it but i promise you. i mean that is a high bar to jump or meet okay but anyway so nynaeve Trevor's. has her face off non-john non-scientology related Great. has her own face maybe who knows that could be the twist of the whole thing yeah he's robert jordan i know is a pseudonym but maybe, maybe it's, it's a pseudonym from john l ron hubbard <laughs> <laughs> anyway so she has her face off with the whole crew you know her against everyone basically and she decides uh, you know at the end of the last chapter I, i'll decide what i want to do when i decide bye see you later now we're at chapter 17 watchers and hunters and the little symbol symbol Seagull, Steven Seagal, is a uh, dragon fang, dragon tooth, dragon fang, dragon fang, yeah. which is that thing that war that notates that you know 
danger or stay away or bad person, right? When they put it on the door? Yes. Basically. When they put it on, so answer, answer me this. Are you going to, I know, I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. Sigil. <laughs> Proud of yourself? Yes. Anyway. Very. So <laughs> when the dragon fang is on the door, does that mean like, it's sort of stay like, away from this house? Is it? It's basically like the Scarlet Letter kind of uh-huh. thing where it's like, these people are bad. They're morally corrupt. They're probably dark friends. And I think part of it is like the world, you know, there are people who like believe and know these awful things to be true about the world. And then right. there's the people who just think of them as sort of like the fairy folklore. tales and folklore that yeah. guide behavior. And so for some people, Dragon Fang might be like, oh, these people are sort of like violating standards mm. and maybe not trustworthy, but other people are actually saying you're a dark friend. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering if it was like a Passover thing where like you put this thing on the door so that the evil comes and passes over that house. Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? Like no. it's like the, meant to know. Is notate. that a Masuza? The little. I don't no. remember what the exact thing okay. is, but do you know what I mean? Like in Passover, you're supposed to put something on your door. I don't. I believe it is. I don't. Forgive me, but I think it's to the effect of you put something on your door, some sort of symbol or some sort of tome or token or whatever. And it means that, you know, you're going to be passed over by the bad, by the evil yeah. or by the whatever it is. Anyway, I was wondering if it was supposed to be something to ward off, evil. to ward no, no, off no, no, no. evil yeah. or to like attract it or to like tell like if Trollocs do exist in this world or whether, you know, that, that they don't think they exist in, if they do indeed exist, this is the house to go to versus yeah. like, I don't know. Anyway, just curious. So the dragon fang is the little, um, seizure. Um, so Nynaeve leaves and, uh, leaves the inn and Rand is like, I need a break. So he goes to the common room cause he wants to like, you know, tear it up, <laughs> but much to his chagrin, <laughs> chagrin, 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 he goes in the other room and it's like, you know, kind of mellow. Tom is doing his thing again. He's telling a story. Um, he's telling the great, great hunt, hunt of again. the horn yeah. again, but you know, there's so many hunters and tales that it could take weeks to tell the whole story so it's a different part of yeah, the same it's story like it seems Aesop's like fables kind yeah. of thing so he's telling it um he's telling the tale of hunters who ride to the eight corners of the world the eight pillars of heaven um and then he particularly is focusing on the greatest of them which is rogosh rogosh mm-hmm. rogosh eagle eye. of talmor or rogosh eagle eye um he's famed at the high court and feared in shiol ghoul yeah um you're doing great sweetie thank you <laughs> then he continues and starts talking about blaise blaise b-l-a-i-s yes blaise of not important matuchin um and she's supposed to be like this other hero um and then he continues about all these different stories. So he goes on and on and on, um, tells them Lion's Stand, the fall of Aleph L'Oreal, which is a name we see a little bit later in one of my other chapters. Um, Gaidal Kane's sword, the mm-hmm. last ride of Bwad El Albane. A lot of words that are hard to pronounce. Yeah. But basically, it's just kind of filling out this like colorful history that we're, you know, we're sort of getting little pieces of elaborated on mm-hmm. little by little. And yeah, I really yeah. like the way he does it in this because some stories, books, movies, TV shows, the writer doesn't know how to move the story along. Yeah. Like have exposition where naturally you things find things out. Right. Like, you have to have mm-hmm. some sort of like awkward moment where someone is giving a monologue but mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense in the story right i like the way like when we discover something it's because right you know you're not like at a checkout line at the grocery store and they're like how's your day going and you're like well in the year <laughs> 1782 in the sale you know like that kind of yes thing, right? and it's- speaking of awkward conversations can i just bring this up really quick sidebar <laughs> at the show on sunday uh-huh we were at a drag show on Sunday. I was performing. Yes. At a brunch. So good. Thank so you. So good. It was blast. But at the table in front of us, uh-huh. I don't know if you saw the woman that was acting up. No. Okay. There was a woman acting up. Um, but there was a moment where she had her hand across the table, touching someone else at the table's hand. Uh-huh. And she was having a conversation with her. Uh-huh. I don't think these two women knew each other. <laughs> and the one was a little... You know, three sheets to the wind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just looked at <laughs> David, my partner, and I was like, 
this is like that moment when you're at a bar and a really drunk girl comes over to you and is having like a really deep conversation with you that you've never met. And yeah, you just yeah, have yeah. to smile and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do I'm going to call you a cab? Yeah. <laughs> are your friends, are your friends here with you? Was... Yeah. Anyway. So speaking of awkward conversations. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun to to watch. It was like yeah. a show within the show. Right. So your point was that Robert Jordan, it, like it's actually a really clever right strategy yes. having a storyteller as a character right yes. because that's part of the expectation exactly and even not even that just that like there's moments when moraine like mm. reveals things about the past but it's because of something else right. you know i really like yeah, the yeah. way he does that and this is just another example um because like i said he mentions the fall of alith l'oreal mm-hmm. and then in one of the other chapters that name comes up again and i expect some of these other names will as we go through these 13 14 books. 14 books so anyway um they're going they're going on and on he's telling all these stories everyone is gripped um perrin matt and so Rand. Much so that they're not eating they're not which, eating and I, the maids aren't and the service aren't serving life is so <laughs> unearthing for a servant who's not serving <laughs> two different musical directions with that but both of them were gold yes um but also my immediate thought was i don't i can't think of a show that would be gripping enough that would keep me from no no and they were hungry right but they forgot but they forgot i wish i had that i would never have that problem i would i would be unable to think about anything but the food i forget i'm in a room with other people sometimes, <laughs> I sometimes when I'm eating. forget to breathe. <laughs> it's like, that's how intense it is. All right. So, you know, the the stories are going on. They forget to eat. And soon he, um, you know, ch- changed the tone a little bit. He brings out his harp and a flute and um, is accompanied by people. And they're singing songs. And then they're singing a more jovial song. Yeah. And everyone's dancing and having fun. And it's really, in my mind, a big old hoedown. Yes. I True. feel like medieval times hoedown <laughs> which wouldn't life be so much simpler if you like went out to a club uh, and it was like a line dance that was like the easiest thing in the world you, you know, didn't have to like look cool doing it you no. just had to have some timing and coordination right and you just danced with whoever was right. there it wasn't this right the most nightmare. complicated thing would be spinning in a circle right not hard and just d- going getting through the few seconds you're with a partner you don't want to be right with. you don't know need to know how to like freak dance right wouldn't that preach. be nice? <laughs> preach. Um, so they're doing the hoedown. Rand has several awkward encounters with each lady in the story as he's dancing with them. Um, he didn't notice them there before, but then they're all there. He dances with Moraine, super awkward. Dances with Egwene, super awkward. Dances with Nynaeve, super awkward. Not in that order. But I, I like the moments with Egwene where she's just like frozen faced and like... Yes. Now, on the current reading through, all I could think of was the shocked Pikachu face, <laughs> just like the whole time, just like, because her mouth is slightly open, like she wants to say something, but she's not talking. Yeah, and yeah. again, they don't know how to talk to each other. No. Um, He goes through another round, slightly less slightly awkward, better. now they think he's a good dancer, and he's feeling real good about himself. There's also a girl in this that I don't remember her relevance, but he's like dancing with this braided girl. Girl she was just the first one. She was just like flirting with him the whole yeah. time. Yeah. And every time he's flirting, she's flirting, he catches a oh, glance yeah. up of this man with a scar across his face. I think it's said from like one eye to like the side of his mouth. Yeah. Like scar, basically. Yeah. So Scarface over there is staring at them from across the room. It's kind of like scar, but it's over his eye, I guess. I was... I, there was another character with a scar across their face I was thinking of, but I can't recall who. Oh, Doesn't well, matter. I remember the the um, uh, Master Lewin. My oh, the black scar across his chest. Is that everything? Were you? Was that a hammering noise? That was, it was your a black. It was a sound? thought. Oh, okay. It was a hammering motion with my hand and a thought. Oh, sound. Oh, because the hand motion paired with the clicking sound. I thought you were doing like a blacksmith hammering impersonation. No, um, sorry, but. <laughs> Anyway, I don't know who the Scarface is at this point. Well, we don't know who he is yet, but it's really making him nervous. Um, so he is dancing, trying to keep calm. Every once in a while, he catches the eye of the Scarfaced guy who is staring at him and scowling at him. Um, after the dancing is pretty much done, the boys, Rand, Matt, and um, Perrin. Perrin get together, and they're all marveling about, like, oh, I can't believe girls have fun. 
I can't believe these girls actually know how to let loose. Oh, like Nynaeve and Moraine. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you believe they were dancing? I bet they don't dance at home. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Well, you know, I mean. Typical boy stuff. But Nynaeve is like has to be in a position of like respect. And so I imagine that it's, you know, hard to cut loose. Cut a rug. Cut a rug. And Moraine is always so staunch. Yeah. And severe. Severe. Yeah. And Egwene is just like a, a whisper. Yeah, so they they run into um, Lan, who's like, okay, time for bed. You've all had your fun. Oh, I also like this moment where the girls go and leave the room, mm-hmm. and how Moraine is the first one to leave, and then Egwene follows, like almost like, oh, time for us to go. Right. And Nynaeve takes great pleasure that she's the last one to leave. Yeah. She's like, hmm, shows you who can yeah. stay up late, even Nynaeve though it's probably is, like is literally one more like dance. A- Oh, you think that? Kind oh, of I character? love every yeah. moment of sass in these yeah. next five chapters of her. Oh, Such a joy. Best. Such yeah. a thrill. Um, but that was like the first moment I was like, she's so nasty. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then Landa's like, time for bed. Let's go up. And they're like, who was that guy with the scar? And he's like, oh, I heard. I seen him. Um, I think he, I've heard he's just like a white cloak spy. Nothing yeah. to worry about. Yeah. However, Lan doesn't know, or at least as far as the story goes, that they had this encounter with him with the White Cloaks, that Matt and T- Rand have had this encounter with them. So maybe it is something to worry about. Right. Like maybe but, they should have said, oh, well, it turns right. out actually. Right. But these boys are always up to no good and yeah. cannot just They're not tell very... the, They don't trust the right people in my mind. No. At, in my mind, they trust the wrong people. Well, and they're not strategic. They're not. Right? And, like... But they are, but they're not. They're strategic with some things. But not the right things. Right. They pick and choose when they're being strategic and they think they're heroes. Yeah. Do you think they think they're heroes? At times. Okay. Yeah. I think they're coming to grips with it. Okay. But when they're faced with actual hero type things, they're like, oh, shit. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like, right. when it comes to like, oh, I'm a hero, I'm an adventure, they're like, wow, this is crazy. This is really like, hard. Let's look at this adventure. Actually really tired. We're running through this thing. But then it's like, oh my God, I might die. I can't even grab my sword. If I could tongue pop, that would have been the moment. <laughs> Um, why don't, why don't you just chatter your teeth again, like the last episode, right? Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so th- they go on their way. They make no mention that they had any in- um encounter with the white cloaks, and then Rand is like, "Before I go to bed, I'm gonna have some milk." And he goes down and gets a uh, mug of milk that is poured from a stone. Uh, what they call it? Pitcher. Something like that. A crock. A stone oh, a crock. crock. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not even a huge milk fan in general, but that just sounded so good. I used to have a glass of milk like every night before I went to bed. I never understood that, that people that did that. Or people who drink milk with dinner. My family, we drank milk with dinner. It, it was a very milk oriented experience. And I, I actually don't, I cannot stand to drink milk anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it just repulses me now. Not a huge fan myself. No. It's an ingredient maybe. But anyway, I like chocolate milk. Oh, who doesn't? Right. Um, so then he goes downstairs, and then as he is drinking his milk, going back up to his room, he has an encounter, which I'm just going to read okay. how the encounter goes, um, because I think it's just way better than I would put it. As he came out of the kitchen drinking, a shape in dull black started toward him down the length of the hall, raising pale hands to toss back the dark cowl that had hidden the face beneath. The cloak hung motionless as the figure moved, and the face, a man's face, but pasty white, like a slug under a rock, and eyeless. From oily black hair to puffy cheeks was as smooth as an eggshell, ran choked, spraying milk. Spit take. <laughs> spit take. Jerry Lewis spit take. Um, and it's a fade, and it says, you're one of them, boy. Yeah. But I love the way they describe this, the voice. Mm, I know. He says, um... You are one of them, boy, the fade said, a hoarse whisper like a file softly drawn across bone. And I completely heard it in my mind, like exactly how that that voice sounds. Yeah. So this I wanted to read because now we finally know what a real fade looks like, as opposed to the stories that Rand had heard where they're like 100 feet tall. And this is the first time we're like really seeing one up close, close, I feel like. Up close, maybe, yeah. They've seen it like fly by. and Yeah, and like ride by on the road. Yeah. Yeah. But like now he's like face to face with one and they have no eyes. It's just like a a smooth, yeah, yeah, like a slug under a rock. Yeah. Oh my God. I couldn't, like a rot. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for a food. But I just thought it was so interesting actually hearing like the description of one and it's way scarier 
and creepier and different than I would have expected. Yeah. Um, so he's face to face with it again. He doesn't know what to do. The reality setting in that he's just a boy yeah. with a sword. Um, and so all his training goes out of his mind. The the fae just keeps asking, you know, where are the rest of them? I know they're here. Tell me, and I'll let you live. Um, it's it's like just intimidating him, coming closer and closer to him. Rand isn't answering any questions. He's like gripped by fear. The fade lifts a black sword into the air. Um, and before it has a chance to strike, as Rand thinks he's about to die, um, it retreats because it here or because Lan is coming. I guess yeah, that's hears, like my boots running, and so yeah, so it's it runs away. Um, <clears throat> and as it's running away. Um, you know, I guess Lan had seen it or sensed it because they always said Lan can sense the yeah. fades. Because remember, they were going up to bed and Lan was like, "Something feels yeah. Off. Oh, something's wrong yeah. tonight." Yeah. So he comes back down. Um, and Rand is like, "Yeah, yeah, it was just here." Um, you know, um, before it left, it said to him, "By the way, you belong to the Great Lord of the Dark. You are his." Yeah. Very Ugh. dramatic. Yeah. Very dark. Very grim. Um, so he says it's a fade. You know, it it went that way. It went that way, and uh, you know, I just picture Wiley e. Coyote or like hanging <laughs> up a arrow facing, and then it's spinning around uh-huh. as they run, and yeah. then they all go in the wrong direction. Um, <laughs> Scooby Doo, because it's an episode of Scooby Doo. <laughs> so Land Chase doesn't d- decides not to chase it. He says that you know it's no use chasing it. I won't catch it. We just got to hightail it out of here. It knows we're here now um well, you know we're we're made i just like and... the way that it like vanishes into the shadows though oh yeah like, like just like like the shadows like reaching and, out and, like, yeah ugh. that because that to me is the scariest thing when i was a kid i remember reading um a ramona the brave book uh-huh and there was like her sister had told her a story about a gorilla with no bones that could sl- sneak under bedroom doors. I was Ooh. terrified of a boneless gorilla sneaking under my bedroom door so for creepy. so long. And this is like the more grown up version of that, where it's like the Way monster can just like appear and disappear from shadows. Yeah. Ugh. That is really creepy. Now, you know, my fear of boneless gorillas. Do not use this. <laughs> do not use this information against me. It's going to be really hard not to because there's so many opportunities, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> all I'll time, resist. All the times when boneless gorillas come up in conversation. <laughs> Every time I find one, I'm going, oh, I should buy that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. What am I going to use it for? Yeah. Um, so basically they're made, they're found out and they got a piece out of there. So Tom, they're all deciding, you know, to gather their things. Tom makes up some kind of silly excuse about why he's going to follow them. Oh, you know, I might as well. They saw me come in with you, yeah. so I guess I got to go with you. I just don't trust him at all. Okay. I'm so like, how does nobody see this that he's not who he says he is? I just don't think he is. And then I think if he's not who he says he is, Maureen might just go with the whole like, it's the, you know, the woven w- in the, the way wheel the, w- the wheel time. weaves is the wheel yeah. weaves. Yeah. So I guess it's just happening. But anyway, so he makes up a silly excuse why he's got to go. And then they're all, you know, gathering together to head out. And Maureen is, tells the innkeeper, like, okay, you're in trouble. There's danger here. You have to be really careful. Forget we existed. Don't say, don't say our names. Like, we're leaving now. And, like, this is serious. And the innkeeper's like, ah, we're strong. We're tough. We'll be fine. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's really serious. You got to take it seriously. You're, you know, you could be in danger. And she's like, ah, we're good. And then they leave. Um, Nynaeve decides she's going to join them mm-hmm. because she's like, well, I got to bring them back to Edmonds Field. And if I'm not with them, then I can't guarantee their safety. So I guess I have to go too. Yeah. Also just stubborn. Um, basically, she has no other option. That's why she's going. What is she going to do? Stay in this town that she is by herself? Right. And she go like back just empty got handed. there. Exactly. Yeah. She like yeah. just got there. So, so she hasn't like, given she's up gonna the go fight. With them. Yeah. They're saddling up, getting ready to go. Rand has a moment of humanity where he, you know, grows some balls and apologizes to Egwene for being a total maniac. Um, and she doesn't say anything, but it's like clear from the look on her face that she's like happy he's apologizing. Mm-hmm. And she's like taking things like not more seriously, but she's starting to realize like the serious danger they're in versus like this is just an adventure. And um, Rand is happy about that and immediately feels bad, which understandable and they're on their way out and they bribe the watchman at the other gate 
in the middle of the night to open the gate and let them out. And then all of a sudden, white just cloaks. when you think they're getting out of there, there they are. The white cloaks. Five of them pop out of nowhere, out of the darkness. I'm like, what are you doing in the middle of the night, hiding in the darkness? But anyway, there they are. And they pop out, and there's a little, like, hey, you know, let us go. You know, this isn't your place. Like, you don't have any power here. These aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> right. And they say, because they're so obnoxious, they say, any place where men walk in the light is basically their jurisdiction. Right. And if it's not their jurisdiction, they'll make it's it their because jurisdiction. they're yeah. dark yeah, and yeah, evil. Yeah. And then by that, it is their jurisdiction. Again. Exactly. It's like typical yeah. culty religious nonsense. Yeah. And they're like, okay. And the, the leaders of the group, I'm just going to refer to the leaders of the group as, you know, Moraine and Lan. Okay. The leaders of the group are staying cool, keeping calm, trying not to like let it affect them. Rand just squirming around on his horse because he's scared because he knows that he had a issue with them before. Yeah. Um, He doesn't immediately recognize if it's the same white cloaks, mm-hmm. but... It, one of them is, at least. And as he's squirming around, he brings attention to himself, and he's made by uh, Bornhold. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, the dark friends are here. Watchmen at the back. Don't, yeah. Don't let them go. You're so lucky we got here in time. And then <sighs> Moraine, I just love everything she does. Moraine is like, oh, you're going to like, you're going to seize us. You're going to get in my way. And she basically, from what I can imagine, from the description, she grows like Alice in Wonderland, like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten times her size, right? Um, first she's just getting taller, and there's like stormy clouds around her face while she's like growing and like taunting them, mm-hmm. and it's she's like, basically towering over the whole wall of the of the of the city. city at some. In point. my mind, it's kind of like the scene in The Little Mermaid where Ursula oh, starts yeah, like totally shooting her ink out and getting bigger and bigger, kind yeah. of like that, but hundred percent less octopus. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say octopalian. Octopalian? Mm-hmm. Like, I only eat octopus. I'm a pescatarian, but let's I only eat octopus. Let's just keep it going. Let's just forget all that. So, um, it's this big scary thing. And while she's doing this distraction, um, they're like, oh my God, it's nice to die. We're going to kill her. And the, what's his name again? Barlon? Bornhold? Bornhold. Barrelon's where they are. Yeah. Bornhold comes to like strike her and he hits her staff, which is just wood, and it like shoots sparks. like sparks out and shoots him so far back with the recoil that he like does this very like nineteen twenties silent movie bowling ball roll as a oh, person yeah. into like the pins of the other people yeah. and they all fall back. Um and while she's doing this big distraction, the gatekeeper's like closing the gate, keeping them in. Lan and the rest escape. Moraine catches up with them. Um, and even as they're riding away, he looks back. Rand looks back and sees her like towering over the city. Yeah. Um, she gets back as if nothing ever happened. She's just riding on her horse. Um, and Egwene is like, um, hi, you were just 100 feet high. And she goes, the what mind plays tricks in the night. Uh, yeah. The eye sees what is not there. Which also made me think, did she grow that big? Or was it some sort of like illusion? illusion. You know? Mm-hmm. But either way, really cool. Um, and they look back and they find that the inn is on fire. Really the sad. Roof. The roof. The roof <laughs> is on fire. <laughs> it's so sad though. Yeah. Um, well, if he had listened to her. He, exactly. Foolhardy. So they leave and they're they're talking about it. Like they're just riding on knowing the, the inn's on fire. And they're all arguing about what the right thing to do is. Um, whether... You know, Moraine, you're so powerful. Why don't you go back and save them? And she's incredibly logical. And she's like, listen, if I go back, more people will die and you will die. There's no, I can't do anything. It's a pretty persuasive argument. Right. She's like, there's nothing I could do in the time frame we have. It's a waste of time. They all get upset over it anyway because they're all children, literally. As they um, get far enough away, they decide they're going to rest for an hour. They get off their horses. They eat, again, bread, cheese, and water. And now I get it. Like, I love bread, cheese, and water, but I guess every day, a lot. Um, and yeah, it's not, they, like, uh, freshly baked. No. It's, like, it's just, like... You called it stale last time. The bread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now it's really stale. Like a rock. Maybe it wasn't last time. I don't know. One of the times. Yeah. Well, anyway, they eat their water, their cheese, their bread, whatever, and then they rest, and then Glass they... Glass of water, uh, rest of bread. <laughs> they go to bed for an hour. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Although, you missed my favorite line where Matt oh. is just, like, 
I wonder what Dav did with that badger. Like, <laughs> just like going back to that moment of like, oh, that was the most exciting thing going on in my life. I wonder. Not running for my life. No. Okay. Great job, Matt. Thanks. Thank and you. that was the end of chapter 17, Watchers and Hunters. And now we are on 18. The, I'm, so the way I said it as a child was Camelin. Okay. That's how I, I'm saying it. And in, in part, I Camelin? think. Camelin. Camelin. Yeah. Kind of like Camel. So in my mind, there's a lot of things that draw from like English Arthurian legend type things. Uh-huh. And this is like one of the central cities of the book. And so in my mind, it's sort Camelot. of like a parallel to Camelot. Right. Um, so that's why I say it Camelin. And I'm going to continue to say it that way because I don't care to correct myself. But What's I think it? people say it like Camelin, but it, that just like sounds... Camelin? Yeah, like, like Cambridge? Or Cambridge? No. So we'll stick Camelin. with Camelin. Yeah, Great. that's how I was reading it. Okay. Camelin. The symbol for this chapter is... Is this the first time we've seen it? It's the three symbols side by side with the big skull in the middle. I believe so, okay. yeah. So this is a symbol for Trollocs that we will... or like evil baddies generally yeah oh yeah scary so it looks like Shadowgate from when i was little Shadowgate? you mean yeah. shadow run no Shadowgate. there was a game for nintendo when i was little called Shadowgate. oh um it was really very dark and kind of creepy it I was like, like i must have played um, it yeah maybe you were like uh it was first person in a way like you were seeing through the character's eyes and you'd go into a room and then there'd be, you can go left, right, or straight. Oh, my God. And you would, like, build characters. Like, you could be a druid at the beginning. I think so. Yeah. And then you I got, totally... like, torches along the way. Yeah. And if you accidentally, like, Went touch a torch far. on the wall, like, a wraith would come out and, like, attack you. Yeah. And then you'd have to start over or start from your last save point. It was, like, a puzzle slash scary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fun game. And this, like, face reminds me of, like, the artwork in Shadowgate. They have it remade. I'm reading about it right now. There's, oh. you can, like, buy, if you download Steam, like, uh-huh. that, yeah. you know what Steam is, Um, you can play, it looks like an updated version of it. Because it came out in 1987. Yeah, I but, was too. Um, Shadowrun was about, like, running away from, like, a mob or something. I remember the Do name Shadowrun, but I can't remember what it is. Great. So, anyway... Um, so the this symbol space. <laughs> is meant to symbolize Trollocs. So they're heading from Barillon to Camelon along a road of rolling hills. So they're noting that the sym- symmetry, the scenery, mm-hmm. is starting to change a little bit. Right. Like uh, topography mm-hmm. is a little different. Um, agriculture. Agriculture. Is the botany, changing. the flora and the fauna yes. <laughs> are different. Um, so they're heading toward the next stop along the Camelon Road, which is Whitebridge. And that's going to cross the Arenel River and take them on the road to Camelon and then Tarvalon. And it's day three of this sojourn above Barillon. And Egwene says, I used to like cheese and is daydreaming of tea. <laughs> yes. And I, I still find I like it hard to part. believe. Like, I, I, it's hard to imagine myself getting to a point where I wouldn't like cheese anymore because it's, it's I impossible. think, my number it's one impossible. food item. Is I cheese. eat cheese every day. Just plain cheese. Eat cheese every day. <laughs> um, so Nynaeve talks about, like, so Egwene is like, la, 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 tea. And Egwene... Or sorry, Nynaeve is talking about how flatwort tea and andalay root are best for fatigue, and is kind of saying this to Maureen, or like, educating almost like her. speaking to the audience, yeah, as a way to like educate Maureen, uh, because she's saying like, if you have to go without sleep, you should be drinking this uh, to like reduce your fat- fatigue. I don't know what's going on with my brain tonight. You got a weird accent going on. I do. Fatigue. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to pull a Madonna and do, or a Moira <laughs> Rose Lohan. and just do an unidentifiable accent the rest of the episode. Um, so Lan interrupts them and is like, no tea, uh, <laughs> no tea, no shade, uh, because there's a fade and Trollocs chasing them and they can't like signal their location as to where they are. So no tea, no fire, no smoke. Right. Um, and Nynaeve had been ignoring Moiraine for like the whole first day, but Rand is noticing that she's for like the last two trying to talk to her about herbs. And uh, Moiraine kind of like moved away from the wisdom 
as she went on. And then they hear, like, the keening wail of a horn and knows that there are Trollocs behind them. Ugh. So, like, Maureen is, like, sitting there eating tea and, and bread and a little bit of cheese and then hears the uh, horns and it's just, like, dusting off her hands and it's like, well, I guess it's time to Gotta go. go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Saved by the bell. So they start mounting <laughs> their horses and they hear, like, the second winding of a horn. Winding? Winding. It must be a winding of winding, a horn. Winding, yeah. What? Winding, yeah. Winding, okay. I said winding, and then I thought I heard you say winding, and then no, it, I was I, really confused because you were agreeing with, with me with the opposite of the one I, I think was saying. winding. Great. Winding. Uh, so that's what I have said the whole time, and if you heard me ever say winding, you're incorrect. Unless it's one of those horns that you actually wind. I'm guessing they're not to, like, a gramophone level of technology oh, true. in it's this world. Oh, true. It's not F troop. Yeah. Okay. Forget it. Um, and so... Then they, so it's coming from behind them, but then they hear another horn answering from the West and the line or the writing says that it floated out of the West, like a dirge. And I, I just remember the scenes from like Lord of the Rings where there's like suddenly that like huge sense of like nightmare monsters. Yeah. Like a huge, like, I think it's the one where they're doing the battle in the place that's like built into a cliff. Okay. Do you remember that one? The battle of something. The big battle scene. <laughs> yes, I remember the big battle scene. <laughs> uh, and that fear. Like, those moments where, like, the that fear of the army. Yeah. Sort of, like... And you can't see anything. Oh, my God. Or that God. moment of Game of Thrones where they shoot all the... Or the, all the Dothraki uh, with the swords and you just watch them all go out one by one. Right. That was the best moment of that whole season. Spoiler yeah. alert. Uh, it's been a year or more since it right. ended. But that... I, it was such, like, a, a, like a suspense-building moment. And yeah. that's what I imagine this is like. Yeah, I'm every explaining... time I heard the horn through this whole chapter, I yeah. was like, in my in my mind, I was like, oh no, yeah. oh my I'm god! A, I'm literally <laughs> explaining the concept of suspense to the listeners as though suspense. they've never, they can't <laughs> understand what it was. <laughs> right. So, Lan says to Maureen, like, keep them moving, Maureen. I'll return as soon as I am able. You'll know if I fail. And Maureen says, kind of to herself, the light go with you, last lord of the seven towers, which we heard in men's viewing yes. right so we're a lot of things yes so we're getting that connection that that's something about lan he's the lord of the seven towers the seven towers that men saw and rand is sort of like i wonder what that meant and strangely i don't think he even recalls that men said that like in that I don't narrative think it, registered yeah, it didn't register at least he wonders what that meant but he had not thought of anyone besides himself had heard her but Tom suddenly was sort of like chewing on the end of his mustaches and mm -hmm. had a speculative frown on his face. Mm -hmm. And Rand comments that the Gleeman seems to know a great many things. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really loving your mistrust of Tom. Watch, he turns out to be like the hero. The I don't care. Guy ever. I don't, regardless of whether he's good or bad, he's not who he says he is. Okay, great. Um, so the horns are starting to get closer and Nineveh is, Nineveh is trying to pressure Maureen to like move faster. And she's like, come on, like go lady. And Maureen is like, well, maybe they're letting us know where they are so that we will hurry up and like run scared. And without thinking of like what might be ahead of us, like maybe we're being chased towards something. Right. Um, and then suddenly land like bursts around the hill at a gallop and is saying that there's at least three fists of Trollocs behind them. So, like, 300. Can you imagine? No. If, Nine. like, 10 people like, were behind me. I mean, like, yeah. being chased by a single monster would be hello? terrifying, but 300. Right. Each of them led by a fade, which is nightmarish, terrifying. Right. So, and maybe as many as five fists. So, up to 500 monsters, which, I don't know, that seems like a, a huge army to me. Maybe it's not, but it seems like an army. It's 500 people. They're Monsters. monsters. There's anyway. 500 monsters. So Lan is saying that they're closing the gap and that they'll be on them in less than an hour. And so Maureen is kind of thinking to herself as she's getting this, you know, uh, report of what's going on from Lan. Like, if there were that many Trollocs down here, why hadn't they been used at Emmons Field? Like, they could have easily wiped basically out destroyed the out the whole city. And then in yeah. doing so, wiped out whoever they were looking for. They were for. looking for, right. And so she's saying, like, if they weren't here how did they get here since which you know lan had commented earlier in the books like how did this many trollocs get this far south without like a bunch of cities in between seeing them and like raising the alarm right, right. 
they're trying to figure out what to do next and because Lan says that they're being driven towards something and Maureen is kind of wondering towards towards herself to herself like what are they driving us towards toward towards I think both, both? are applicable okay somebody will correct me um the horn behind them sounds again and is joined by others now ahead of them which that's the moment I mean, there were many moments where I would like, now. I would shit my pants and just start crying. That Goodbye. would be my solution to this situation. Right. <laughs> That's my answer to everything, really. Shit my pants and, and cry. start crying. Uh, so Lan is saying that there's a place that the Trollocs won't go. And Moraine, like, really rapidly in my mind, like, her head whips around at lightning like, speed to up. say no. <laughs> um, and then they start, like, buzzing, whispering to each other. Um, and Tom is saying, like, they're trying is just kind of talking to himself it seems like but again this is like a really wonderful like suspense building movement or moment that i could see in the tv show like you know he's like they're trying to scare us until we panic and run and they'll have us then like that's what they want they're wanting us to panic and separate not have a plan so they can just pick us off yeah so they start heading north but their movement is kind of slow up and down these hills and and the Trollocs are starting to get close to them. And Lan says, like, they're nearby in, like, this, again, really eerie moment. And so they top a hill. And below them is, like, a huge line of Trollocs, all with, like, their catch poles tipped with hooks and long hooks of rope, hoops of rope, loops of rope, and then Merdral. Um, and Lan draws his sword and says, stay with me and charge, and charges toward the Trollocs, like, shouting, for the seven towers so the boys are like realizing hey we're charging toward death essentially right. like we're so about to die caught up in the moment yeah they get caught up in the moment and i think rand starts shouting manatharan and perrin picks it up and then matt says kariel kaldazar kariel elisande al elisande and we don't hear anything about that for a minute and then we go into this battle scene i think i said this maybe in the first book that robert jordan has military experience and so yes um had i suppose because he's passed away all of his battle scenes seem so real to me like right it's not narrative of like on mass what's happening but sort of like these individual people through which you're right. hearing this story um so i really like his battle scenes and there's a section in here where he says um beast muzzled almost men swarmed around each of the humans catch poles and hooks flailing only Lan and the Merdral did they avoid. Those two fought in a clear circle, black horses matching step for step, swords matching stroke for stroke. The air flashed and peeled. And then Moraine's white mare dashed and cut at the slightest touch of the Aes Sedai's hands on her reins. Her face was as hard as Lan's and her staff lashed out. Flame enveloped Trollocs then burst with a roar that sh left misshapen forms unmoving on the ground. Nynaeve and Egwene rode close to the Aes Sedai with frantic urgency, teeth bared almost as fiercely as the Trollocs' belt knives in hand. I just think that like is really well written for a battle scene in a book, right? Because yeah. those sorts of moments are so like visual oftentimes that I think it's hard to like narrate an entire story without it feeling like this sword hit that sword, that right. sword like whoosh went over my head. Like, but I think he captures the like visceral terror of yeah. battle really well. And I think a lot of times in scenes like this in other books, you just get like swords flurried and yeah. sparks flew and yeah. And, you know, the horses reared reared and, and whinnied and whinnied and the person thought they were done and a flash of light came before them and they woke up. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of ways to like sort of like move past the battle scene into the aftermath and then hear what happened. Yeah. You know, someone passes out and then they wake up and then, oh, here's what happened. Or there's always ways to like get around it. But I like the way he describes like these little moments. Mm hmm. Um, these individual moments with these individual characters and how they're all interacting and doesn't feel like yeah, verbose. Yeah. So things aren't going great and a Trolloc catchpole snags Rand's shoulder. And imagine that feeling of like being on your horse and suddenly being like about to be pulled off and I just can't believe monsters probably going to rip your flesh right off your body. Cannot believe anyone held on. Yeah, no. And then he sees like Perrin sort of like essentially being like pulled out of his saddle. And then suddenly the Trolloc who's like grabbing onto Rand's leg throws up its hands and screams. All of them are screaming uh, a howl like all the dogs in the world gone mad. And around the humans, all of the Trollocs had like fallen to the ground, tearing at their hair, clawing at their faces. 
all of them. And Rand sees the Myrdral still on its horse, but it doesn't have any head. So, like, Lan decapitated it. And Tom, and it's still, like, flailing around. And Tom is saying, like, it probably, it's not going to die until nightfall. Like, not completely. And then he's like, at least that's what I heard. Yeah. Sure. (laughs) Sure, Jan. That's what you heard. Lan yells at them to ride. And Matt was the only one who had gotten, like, been unhorsed. So he... He's like tossing a noose away from him with a shutter because apparently he got noosed around the neck. So they're moving much faster than before. And like they're still there hearing the horns coming nearer and nearer until they start hearing like the growls and grunts of the Trollocs like behind them. Uh, Until they get to a hilltop and sees like Trollocs right on the hill neck behind them. And then it's like blackened with Trollocs uh, like so uh, numerous and three Merdral driving them and then so only a hundred spans separates the two parties and the merdral's like black swords rise as one and the trollocs boil down the slope catch bobs bobbing catch poles bobbing above them as they ran and so moraine just like calmly climbs down from her horse which at this moment like you would be like are you have you lost it like what right. are you doing um and unwraps the ungreal that she had used when healing tam and then she like stabs her staff into the earth and essentially like channels an earthquake to like knock them all down and then channels this huge wall of fire as far as the eye could see like dividing them from the enemy rand reflects that this is like the i said i work of stories and he wishes he was a hundred miles away from it i would have been like i'm so happy i'm here yes do more things (laughs) drop um drop a piano on them hello something um (laughs) so Ran or Lan says, like, go, you know, this isn't going to last forever. And he catches Maureen from falling and says they'll catch up with them. She'll be all right. She's just super tired. So, uh, and explains that she's not at her strongest when working with earth and fire. So Nynaeve rides ahead to talk to Maureen and gives her a little packet of herbs to swallow. And Rand notes that she has, like, this smug look of satisfaction on her face because she's like, yes, finally, this woman respects my opinion. <laughs> uh, I think it's Rand that says, like, oh, so, like, that's what a battle is like. He couldn't remember much of it, but it was all just a melted mass of hairy faces and fear and heat, which is scary. So Moraine and Lan are, like, at the front of the pack, and the folks all see them having a little bit of an argument. And Matt Egwin, Egwene takes this moment to kind of ask Matt, like, what were you shouting? And Matt is like, I don't really remember. Everything seems really foggy. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, yeah. it was probably nonsense. And Maureen comes up and answers that he had said, for the honor of the Red Eagle, for the honor of the Rose of the Sun, the Rose of the Sun, and explains that this was an ancient war cry of Manatharan, um, its last king, who we heard about before, and Eldreen was known as the Rose of the Sun. So she, Maureen, kind of like is smiling at both Egwene and Matt, and is saying, the blood of Amon's line is strong in the two rivers, the old blood still sings. and rand and matt like is scowling Mm -hmm. and rand is sort of thinking like oh maybe matt is worried because he said this thing that's indicating he's got this like deep connection to this old history and maybe he's the one that the trollocs are hunting for right so he's kind of like oh you know don't pay attention to me pay no attention to the man behind the curtain it was nothing um so they hear the horn, horns again, and Maureen gathers everyone around her and, like, whirls her staff over them and then, like, shoves it, or shoves it, thrusts it toward the west and, like, leaves, like, wh- whip around, and there's a little dust tornado that heads that direction. She explains that she's throwing the Trollocs and the Fades off her scent, like, the all of their scents, I guess, because uh, their tracks and their scent will appear to go that direction. But the Fade will see through it in time, so they, they've got to go. So they continue riding, and they start to see a city emerging. Well, first they realize it's, like, vines and rubble. Uh-huh. And then they realize it's a city that's, like, 50 times bigger than Barillon. And so they're all like, oh, Tom must have been, like, really laughing at us yeah. when we were like, oh, my God, a huge city. But as soon as they see that the get there, they see, like, the city is crumbling, vines everywhere. There's fallen towers. And they're wondering what it is. And Moraine says it was once called Eridol. That's how I'm going to say it. Eridol Hall, Erid Hall, Eridol. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy that, listeners? Uh, as I try to work through pronunciation <laughs> in real time. Um, an ally of Manatharan in the Trolloc Wars, but it later died and was called by another name, Shadar Logoth. 
And that's the end of the Camelin Road. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. So I think based on how much we've been talking so far, looking at the time, we should probably stop here this week. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Great. So we're leaving first time story adventurers on the, in the suspense, the cliffhanger of Shadar Logoth. Right. Sometimes Aradol, the Aradol. city formerly known as Aradol. Yeah. <laughs> as Adderall. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your favorite moment of this episode's reading? Oh, it's, it's hard to pick because I feel like so much happened. Mm-hmm. Like so much happened in such a short span of time. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite moment. Our dogs are really enjoying seeing each other. Yeah. They're thinking about their favorite moments too. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite moment is when Moraine grows um, like Mm -hmm. 50 times her size, basically. Yeah. Because it's like the first time she's like manipulated like her form. Yeah. In a way, I think it's just a really cool thing that like I just didn't see it coming. Yeah. Like I know she can manipulate like seemingly elements and things like that. But to see her do something like that, I was like, wow, she's like cool. Pretty badass. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite moment was probably the battle scene that I just told everybody about. I, I've already said things about how he writes, but I think the other thing I liked about that was, you know, they're all really scared, but they're all doing the hard things that they have to do in order to survive. And I think what's great about it is, um, again, we talked, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, how some people think the entirety of the series is really sexist, or at least there is sexism in it. And I I don't always agree with that assessment in part like moments like this where Egwene and Nynaeve have like tiny little knives and they're still like rushing ahead right. to like try to survive and do these things. And so I think of so many of the women characters as some of the strongest ones in the series because so far yeah, it feels that way. They're like kicking ass and taking names in a world that, you know, isn't really kind to them in a lot of ways. Right. So anyway. Uh, that's another reason that I like it. Plus, Nynaeve and Egwene and Maureen are three of my favorite characters, so I love them. Anyway. This was a lot to cover, so I think it's good that we just did two um, chapters this episode. Yeah. Um, so next week, uh, we'll be doing chapters, the remaining chapters that we promised we were going to do at we the beginning. Um, so it's going to be 17. four chapters. Oh, no. We already did 17. And we did 18. So we're going to do 19, 20, 21, 22. Yes. In the next one. Great. You can find us on Twitter at at CoolStoryPod1. Yes. Or you can find us on Instagram. At CoolStoryPod. At CoolStoryPod. And if you want to contact us, um, send us your comments, concerns, criticisms, fan art to go on said Instagram. Or tell us um, your favorite moment from this week's readings. Oh, yeah. Tell us your favorite moment or uh, how how you relate to um, some of the things that we talked about or how you completely disagree. Um, send all this all this stuff. Um, send it to coolstorypod at gmail.com. Yeah. And don't forget to review us recommend us subscribe wherever listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your build a diorama dedicated to this podcast and turn it in for extra credit a shadow box see me after class great goodbye bye